Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to Movie House Concessions on the MHN Podcast Network, where each episode we pull a random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the day it was released. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And for this month's episode, we're reviewing A History of Violence, another Cinema Day comic book adventure for us, directed by David Cronenberg and starring Viggo Mortensen, Ed Harris, and Maria Bello. And before we get into our review of this film, first, Chad's going to give us a brief summary of what History of Violence is about. I don't know how brief it'll be, but I'll do my best. Uh, let's see here. Tom and Edie Stahl live in the small town of Millbrook, Indiana. Tom is a mild-mannered diner owner. His wife, Edie, is an attorney. They have two children, Jack and Sarah. The Stahl family lives a very happy life in their Midwestern home with very little drama to rock their world. That all changed one evening when two career killers, Leland Jones and Billy Orser, walked into Tom's diner as he was trying to close up for the day. Leland and Billy tried to rob the diner and attack Tom's waitress, Charlotte, but the seemingly meek Tom Stahl gives the town of Millbrook a night to remember. Tom tosses coffee into Leland's face grabs a gun that Leland had dropped to the ground, then shoots and kills Billy. Leland retaliates by stabbing Tom in the foot with a knife, but Tom finishes off Leland by shooting him in the head. Tom Stahl is instantaneously a hometown hero and media darling. Tom's diner begins to overflow with customers due to his heroic antics and the attention he has received from the media. One afternoon, three well-dressed men enter Tom's diner with all of their attention focused on Tom. However, they are actually looking to talk with a man from Philadelphia named Joey Cusack. The spokesman of this trio, Carl Fogarty, has has a damaged left eye, which has very little usage. Fogarty, along with colleagues Frank Mulligan and Charlie Rourke, repeatedly harassed Tom and Edie, in an attempt to get them to admit that Tom is actually this Joey fella. Edie calls on the sheriff, Sam Carney, to investigate the three men. Sam learns that Carl is deep into organized crime and works for a Philadelphia crime lord named Richie Cusack. Sam proceeds to ask Tom if he is in the witness protection program, which Tom strongly dismisses. This entire day has Edie scared to death for her entire family. Carl Fogarty doesn't stop at harassing the Stahl family on this one day. Carl's car stalks Tom's diner, leading him to believe the gangsters will attack his family at their home. Fogarty then follows Edie and Sarah to a shopping mall, where he proceeds to share an enlightening story with Edie. Carl tells the story of Joey Cusack, a man who tried to rip Carl's left eye out of his head with barbed wire. Carl then tells Edie that her husband, Tom, is indeed Joey Cusack 
and that she needs to open her eyes to who her husband truly is. Edie and Sarah get away from the gangster, and Edie immediately files a restraining order against Fogarty. Meanwhile, Tom and Edie's son, Jack, who is a meek high school student, has troubles of his own with a group of student-athletes who like to bully Jack for no real reason. One afternoon, Bobby Singer, the lead asshole at Jack's high school, decides to shove Jack through the hallway and challenge Jack to a fight. Jack, much like his father, breaks free from his mild-mannered persona, retaliates, and whips Bobby's ass in front of his fellow students. When Jack gets home from school, Tom isn't too pleased with Jack losing his cool. In a smart-ass tone, Jack explains to his father that he just defended himself like Tom had done the day before, and Tom loses his composure, slapping his son in the face. Edie gets home to help squash the tension, but tells Tom she is afraid uh, for their lives because Carl Fogarty is stalking them all over town. The next day, Carl and his henchmen return to the Stahl family home, wanting Joey Cusack, and this time they are not playing games. The gangsters kidnapped Jack and then used him as trade bait. The trio allows Jack to go free into the house with his mother and sister, but Tom has to go back to Philadelphia with Carl in exchange. Tom gets closer to Frank and kills the kidnapper with his bare hands. Immediately, Tom grabs Frank's gun and shoots Charlie dead. However, Tom's offensive is stymied by Carl, who shoots Tom in retaliation. Carl approaches the wounded Tom and prepares to finish off his prey, but is shot dead from behind by Jack, who used the family's double-barreled shotgun. Tom again finds himself in the hospital, this time recovering from gunshot wounds. Edie enters his room and demands the truth from her husband. Tom finally confesses that he was a cold-blooded killer named Joey Cusack and spent three years in hiding, quote-unquote, killing Joey. Edie is terrified and leaves her husband to recover on his own. Sheriff Sam runs his thoughts and suspicions about Tom slash Joey to the stalls and then asks Tom to tell the truth about his past and the five criminals who were recently killed in his small Indiana town. Edie covers for Tom, saying Tom is who he says he is. Sam is relieved and leaves to go about his evening, but Tom and Edie aren't finished. The hostile stalls yell at, slap, choke, and attack each other until they begin having a painful sexual experience in the middle of their hardwood staircase. The angry romp leaves Edie with bruises all over her body and a torn-up Tom feeling conflicted. A short time later, Tom, or Joey, gets a phone call from his estranged brother, Richie Cusack. Tom leaves his family, hops in his pick-em-up truck, and heads east towards Pennsylvania. Tom gets escorted from one of his old Philadelphia watering holes to Richie's mansion by Reuben, a Cusack bodyguard. The two brothers reconnect and talk about the Carl Fogarty incident that broke them apart years ago. Richie blames Joey for losing millions of dollars, along with an immeasurable amount of trust and respect from other crime families, when he had to clean up Joey's mess with Carl Fogarty. Richie states that his fellow mobsters in Boston would love to take over his territory 
expanding their syndicate. Joey is taken back by these statements as he sits in a multi-million dollar mansion. Joey asks Richie to let the past be the past and move on, but everything is about business for Richie Cusack. Ruben tries to strangle Joey from behind, but Joey successfully blocks the attempt and incapacitates Ruben. Joey then kills two of Richie's bodyguards as he escapes from Richie's office. Richie executes Ruben for screwing up their well-planned-out execution. Then Joey kills off Richie's last remaining bodyguard and tricks Richie into going out his front door where he ends up executing his older brother. Joey tosses the handgun he used to kill Richie into a lake attached to Richie's property and begins to clean the blood off of his body. Tom Stahl returns to his home in Indiana just as Edie, Jack, and Sarah sit down to eat dinner. There are no dinner plates set at the table for Tom, but his loving daughter gets him a plate and Jack offers Tom some meatloaf. Tom and Edie look into each other's eyes full of love. The Stahl family is back together, ready to deal with the history of violence that has upended their once happy home. The end. All right. A History of Violence is uh, based on the 1997 graphic novel by John Wagner and Vince Locke. Uh, it was, the film was released on September 23rd, 2005, the same day as Roll Bounce, Flight Plan, Corpse Bride, and Dirty Love. Uh, same month as Serenity, The Greatest Game Ever Played, Into the Blue, Proof, Just Like Heaven, Lord of War, The Man, and Transporter 2. The Empire Strikes Back of that film series. <laughs> it was made on a budget of $32 million, uh, grossed $31 million, just $31.5 million in the United States, but $61 million worldwide, making it the 90th highest grossing film in the U.S. that year, right behind such classics as House of Wax, the Wedding Date, and Good Night and Good Luck, and right in front of Get Rich or Die Trying, The Fog, the remake of The Fog, and Zathura, A Space Adventure. was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actor, William Hurt, lost to George Clooney for Syriana, and Best Adapted Screenplay, which lost to the film Brokeback Mountain. BBC's 21st Century's 100 Greatest Films list included A History of Violence at number 59, uh, was ranked number four on Peter Travers' list of the best films of the decade, and in 2016, the film was ranked among the 100 Greatest Films uh, since the year 2000 by international critics. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 87% critics and 76% audience. And so that is the numbers on History of Violence. So uh, because this is a Cinema Day comic book, we, uh, Chad and I try to, as often as possible, to go back to the kind of source material. If the film is actually based on the source material, this film was loosely, mm. and I'll really stress loosely, uh, yes. very, very uh, theme, similar themes. Um, however, very, very dramatically different story. Uh, Chad, you you got the, the graphic novel. I got the graphic novel. What are your impressions of the graphic novel? Well, after reading through the graphic novel, after seeing the movie a couple, two or three times, it was interesting to then see how they adapted it. Um, that was my first takeaway. And I guess the first, story-wise, the first, say, third of the book, is essentially maybe the first half of the movie. Correct. And then the second 
third of the book uh, basically does what I didn't I I didn't like about the book, but I'm glad they did not do in the movie, which is go back and try to pull the history of the characters. I'm that's one of the things I loved about this movie. Um, so you, you get that part, and then essentially the last third of the book is just wrapping stuff up in the story, which, as you said, is drastically different from what you see in the movie. Uh, but I do like the book. I think it's a good story. Um, if I would have seen it or knew about it before seeing the movie, I would have really liked it because I like the story. I think it's really good. Um, as for the art in the mo- in the book, it's a little distracting. It's a little, I don't want to say amateurish, but it just is a little, I don't know, too black and white, too, I don't know, old school compared to what we see nowadays. So that was uh, not the most authentic or creative way of uh, taking the book out and showing it to people. But it is what it is. Um, but it is a very fast-paced book, in my opinion. I got through it in about two and a half to three hours, actually. Yeah, it's, um, it's a fast read. I really read. liked it. Yeah, very, very, very fast read. Yes, very. For a graphic novel, extremely. And I appreciate that. And I do like the fact that, yes, it was the source for the movie. And you get to see where it came from and how it's different. I always like that compare and contrast. I mean, it. I, I agree with you. The, fir- the That first third of the book is very similar to the film, hitting a lot of the uh, very same story beats. You don't get so much of the bullies with Jack at school and stuff like that as kind of a backdrop, but you get very much the two killers coming to town uh, and Tom saving uh, his patrons and becoming a hero and then drawing in the Ed Harris character, which in the comic uh, the graphic novel is a much, much older and more feeble man <laughs> than than Ed Harris's portrays portrayal in the film. Um, he, Ed Harris plays him with a lot more danger uh, that yes. he, he, distinctly that he, someone could be killed by this guy. Uh, not so much in there that I mean, he's almost blind and senile, a little bit senile, and, and it's his. Uh, bodyguards i would i'd say that or the 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 imminent threat to tom in the in the book i agree with you about the backstory i think it works in the graphic novel but i like the fact that it's not in the film where basically tom is telling his wife of how he came to be sought out by these criminals which is very very different from the film I like the mystery of it a little bit more, you know, that you don't necessarily get to see the history of violence and, and the, the way that he's, it's portrayed in there, it would be hard to believe that the character would be able to take on the criminals like he did in the film, because he is not in the book. He's not a career criminal criminal. He, you know, he does some small petty shit and then does a big score and, you know, gets out of town is essentially all he does. You kind of skipped over the major elements, but the difference for Richie, that is a huge difference for Richie. Richie's not the brother. He's the friend and he's the friend who he commits the crime with. And he believes Richie's dead years before. And he's not. Richie's been (laughs) tortured for decades. (laughs) 20 years they've picked his body apart until he's basically just a torso and a head and that's about it he's johnny got his gun i mean he is he is i mean no arms no legs hanging by 
uh, you know, uh, a metal chain in a, in a warehouse is where you finally see his scarred, the scarred remains of his body. However, I liked that element. I, I, I'm glad they didn't do that in the film. I don't think that would have worked for the no. film, the way they crafted it. But I liked it and the idea that eventually Tom kills Richie as a, as a sense of mercy, you know, and right. that is, you know, to, to, he, that Richie's asking, just kill me. And Tom does it. And Tom trying to be this heroic character for his family and everything like that. Uh, it, it's, it's, it just, it, it, it doesn't, you know, obviously doesn't sit well with the character in the graphic novel that is very different from, uh, Viggo Mortensen's portrayal in the film film. I like the fact that Richie's the brother and you know, he brothers pissed off because he's suffered for what Tom has done and there has to be vengeance for that. And I, I like, I think the film works very, very well. I think the graphic novel works very, very well, but I can see where it would have been hard to adapt the graphic novel into the film. I, I think audiences would have been turned off and that, you know, Godfather two flashback sequence of it would have been really hard to thread that needle uh, in, right. in, in this film. And you would have that the film would have suddenly become a three hour movie. And then, then I don't think audiences would have been as interested. I always remember Gary Oldman playing that uh, character in uh, the movie Hannibal, where Hannibal Lecter had basically sliced up his face and all that. Then you could barely depict who Gary Oldman was under all the makeup and the prosthetics they put on him to come up with that character. That's almost the route you would have needed to go to create Richie in this movie. If you had gone the way of the graphic novel, because he's almost, it's like, was it page 268 here? He almost looks like the toxic Avenger yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it is that grotesque. So I don't think they could have, taken this graphic novel and went page for page in any way shape or form the way they do say like with the walking dead at times it, it'd be almost impossible yeah now now turning to the film uh what do you think yes. of the cast of the film you know we got william hurt in a brief role ed harris in a fairly brief role uh, vigo mortensen vigo mortensen and uh, maria bello playing the essentially the two leads in it what did you think of the cast i I'll be upfront. I mean, this is one of those movies that I just adore. And I think it all starts with the cast and the story and they all intertwine very well. I'm not the biggest Vigo Mortensen fan. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, so I'm not going to worship him for that. But I love him in this movie because the key to this movie is the peeling of the onion, if you will, of Tom Stahl. It, that's the mystery of Tom Stahl is this movie. And he does it very, very well in the story and the directing and everything goes really well. But as for Vigo himself, he's the centerpiece and he is the one who does it perfectly. You figure out who he, Tom Stahl is as Joey Cusack and you see him transform if you watch him close enough in this movie where he comes from a mild, meek, happy individual. He sees Carl Fogarty and the guys come into his diner but yet he doesn't blink. He doesn't act like he recognizes these people. He keeps on the charade and moves forward as the movie goes. And Vigo is absolutely perfect. And then once Vigo needs to make Tom be a badass, he turns him into a badass pack perfectly. Then as a father, as a husband, 
both as meek and as a badass and as a abusive husband to an extent, an abusive father to an extent. He handles all that perfectly. And then when he has to transform right back into Tom Stahl from Joey Cusack, he handles it perfectly. And I think Vigo knocks it out of the ballpark. And then as for the rest of the cast, like Maria Bello, I absolutely adore. I don't know if she's, I don't get why Hollywood doesn't like her as much as I do. Um, maybe she needs to, to be in too many type of art house movies or indie type movies like this or the cooler or, um, well, I can't remember the, no, uh, the one with, um, uh, yeah, the guy from fucking Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> the guy from, uh, I oh God, the Bob Crane movie. Oh, autofocus. <laughs> autofocus that's the other one god damn yeah because she was in autofocus as well it those type of movies are more under the radar movies and i think she's a great actress i think she's beautiful but she's a real realistic woman and being beautiful and she carries edie perfectly in this movie where she's strong but yet she's vulnerable yet she's scared but yet she's going to do what's right for her family and i think she handles it perfectly in this movie Ed Harris is Carl Fogarty. Loved him. He is, as you said, he epitomizes danger. He epitomizes a bad guy, but yet he's a mobster and he handles it really, really well. As for the kids, I think the kids do really well, especially Jack, because he, like Vigo, um, has to be somewhat two different characters in a way. Um, I then William Hurt, I think he plays his character really well, Richie, for what limited time. So this cast is a well put together cast. I can't say enough about it. I think everybody does what they're supposed to do to tell the story that's supposed to be told. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to add to that. I'm going to agree with you on everything with the exception of William Hurt. Now, uh, William Hurt, I, I think he does a good job. But I was really surprised doing the research that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor because I actually thought Ed Harris was a much better role and a much better performance in this film. And when I looked, I, was, I saw that it was not, the film was nominated for that category. I said, oh, it's probably Ed Harris. And then I was like, William Hurt? Really? Because he has such limited screen time. And to be honest with you, to me, because I've seen this two or three times, and I, I I really like this film. I think it's very good, and and I don't want to take anything away from William Hurt's role, but Ed Harris is the big bad to me. I mean, he yes. is the, the more threatening presence uh, to me, to Tom in the film, and uh, and he has much meatier roles than William Hurt does, and I think his performance should have gotten the Oscar nomination, not William Hurt. And I'm not saying William Hurt was bad. I just think Ed Harris was better in this film uh, by by leaps and bounds. I thought he was much much better. He played the sinister so so much better uh, than yep. William Hurt did. Yeah, uh, I can't I can't disagree with you there, Patrick. I mean, it's just one of those things that I think. You know, like the the head of the family is going to be the one who's covered up or in the furthest back. And he may be mean, he may be evil, but yet it's going to be the soldiers who have to be the most evil and sadistic and fearful or scary ones. And that I agree with you. That's Ed Harris basically covered that when he created this Carl Fogarty character. Now, you've already kind of touched on this, but I kind of wanted to go back to it, is the film compared to the graphic novel is that it's a fairly short film. I mean, it's not a long movie. And right. it's what you don't know and you never see 
that is so much the driving force of who this character of Tom is. Like in the graphic novel, you are told explicitly who the character is and what his background is. In the film, as you kind of imply, well, you didn't imply, you out and out said, you know, Viggo Mortensen playing between this kind of meek, you know, shop owner to you know, this guy who can take out a few hitmen all by himself, you know, without it. And you get no semblance of that anywhere in the film and you get no explanation as to how he can do that stuff. And Mm -hmm. this, this idea of this, if you will, this history of violence that he has that is unknown to his family is interesting. And I, I really like the way that they crafted this uh, with, we're not going to tell you. It's just, it's just part of the story and you're going to have to fill in the gaps and you may have questions, but it's, it's mysterious. And you, you are almost, the audience is almost Tom's family is because you, they don't really have an explanation for it either. It's just, this is who he suddenly is. Well, you know, what are your, I mean, you've kind of touched on it. What did you think about that? Yeah, that is what I love about it is that's the mystery. The psychology of this movie is the ambiguity you are basically introduced to the Stahl family who are meek and happy and very Midwestern. I can attest to that, basically living in the Midwest. And then you get these killers that come in and Tom Stahl snaps and does what he has to do. And like I said, it's the peeling of the onion. It's getting to the various layers of who Tom Stahl is. And if you were told in a flashback that this is how he became who he was, I think it would take away from it because it's allowing the viewer to sort of say, okay, is it bullshit? Is it not bullshit along the way until you get to the very end and you find out he was a part of a mob family. And that's the fun of it. It's the psychology. Like I said, the ambiguity, I love that component of it because you don't know why he's able to kill these two people who tried to rob him instantaneously was it luck? Was it skill? He just was able to do it. And then once the other three guys come to town, he sort of is able to handle them. But yet, once again, it doesn't really happen until he absolutely has to. But he also needs help from Jack and Edie to help handle them. So eh, was he really Joey? Yes, he ends up saying he was Joey. But it's that damn peeling of the onion. Like I said, the layers, I love it. The psychology of it is all put together because you're also seeing the deterioration of this meek, happy family break down to Edie doesn't know who Tom is because they didn't grow up together. And they talk about that a lot in the movie that they didn't know each other from their past. Then you get to find out. And if you guys ever would do this for movie house memories, I'm sure you would cover this, the, the hidden meanings and all that, because you have a nature versus nurture type component to this peeling of the onion Is Jack, you know, who is Tom's son, does he have this meek presence and then becomes violent automatically when pushed too much? It's this cool aspect of this movie that I love for that reason. I I can just go on and on and ramble about it because there's so many components to it that are just so cool. I mean, I I agree with you because if – There is no uh, suspension of disbelief going into this meeting with Richie at the end. If you know that this character is an absolute badass, if he's John McClaning this shit, there's no worry that he's you know going to survive this. You know, there's a question of whether he can survive this, and the idea that 
okay, he was very, obviously very good at being a mobster, a bad guy. And he chose to walk away from it for whatever reasons. And, and he, that, you know, because, you know, that he could give up that is, you know, really gives some depth to that character is that, you know, he had this life and literally walked away from his brother, you know, his family, mm-hmm. if you will, um, which is a theme that is, did not exist in the graphic novel at all. It's in, in entirely absent. Um, but I, I re I, I thought that was really good where they just left all these gaps of backstory, you know, missing and really did as I was watching it now, probably the third time I've seen it in my life, I was really watching it to see kind of what, how the story is told and is very much told from the perspective that the audience is the family in that, you don't know who this man is and you don't know the background and you aren't given it. You really aren't, you know, at the end you nope. get, you get a kind of a, a taste of it, but you don't get this, you, you don't get a complete understanding of why he was the way he was, how he became the way he was and why he left, you know, it's it just other than he wants yeah. to be part of this family. Uh, ultimately with the ending of the film that, you know, it's all nonverbal, of him walking into the kitchen and the family just getting his plate, passing the food and this symbolic, you're welcome back to the family, you know? And, and, and I really like that. You didn't have to explain it to me. You know, (laughs) you didn't have to say welcome home. You know, you, you know, you didn't have to have Edie, you know, going and giving Tom a hug and just everything suddenly. And they lived happily ever after it was, there was a question as to this family has been put through the ringer they were put through the ringer because of what he did in his past. And it, then he left and they know what, you know, why he left. And the fact that he's back is, you know, are they going to accept him? And they do. And I thought it was really well, well made. And one of the other fun parts of both the book and the movie is, you know, that the killers who he takes care of in the diner early on are bad guys because they show it in the movie where he, the, they kill the motel uh, shopkeeper and the kid and the wife and all that. And then they go to rob the diner and Tom takes care of them in the book. You don't get as much of the backstory on the first two, but yet you know that they're bad guys because they're coming in to kit to rob the diner and he takes care of them. Okay. That's cool. You got a little bit of history. He's taking out bad guys there. Now, when you get to the book versus the movie on uh, Fogarty, now you don't know in the movie if basically Joey was right or wrong in how he damaged Fogarty's eye. You don't have any backstory. In the book, you eventually learn the backstory that Richie and Joey were probably doing stuff they should not have been doing anyway. I mean, yes, the gangsters were the gangsters, but... Those two boys were trying to be gangsters themselves. And so when he basically takes out Fogarty's eye in the book, you got bad guy versus bad guy in a way. The great part of the movie is you really never know if Joey was ever taking out Fogarty's eye as a good guy or a bad guy, or if it was something that was legit. Maybe Fogarty was the in the right to come after Joey or Tom and wanting to kill him for what he did to him. We never really know because we never see that backstory, unlike what they try to tell in the book. And that's one of the things after I read the book that it was cool. I appreciated that more about the movie because there's a lot more ambiguity there. You just assume that Fogarty is a bad, bad dude because he's coming after 
the Stahl family, but you never really know if he really, really is. Was he injured for no good reason by Joey Cusack? Uh, I guess that was one thing I always really appreciated after the fact. Was he justified in coming after Joey? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and no, I agree with you. Yeah, in the graphic novel, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a sense of it's self defense, and if Fogarty gets blinded and wants his revenge for that, but Fogarty's also working for a larger criminal organization, much like in the film, and he faces repercussions for drawing attention to himself when he goes after Tom in the graphic novel, which, in, in, you know, he gets killed. He gets, you know, a, a hit in a hospital where in the film he just dies on the lawn. So I, I think the film works a little bit better than the uh, the, the graphic novel in, in that capacity. But, no, I, I agree with you that there's, you know, the, the, the both of them are very successful in telling the story. Um, and they're very, very different animals. Uh, it, it, but yeah. I think, you know, ultimately, if I had to choose which one I like better, I like the film better um, because I think oh. I, I like the ambiguity that it creates in the graphic novel. Uh, force feeds it to you a little bit, but that, you know, that's what it's supposed to. You know, it's, it, it, that was, it, it was, you know, it, that would have been a very, very, very short graphic novel if it would have been a, just an adaptation of what the film ended up being. <laughs> exactly. Anything else you want to say about this before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I, again, I just, uh, I am one of those when it comes to movies, I love psychology when it comes to movies. Um, that's, I always say the best horror movies, especially are psychology driven, like a Halloween or a psycho or something like this, where you're continually peeling back layers of things. And I highly recommend this one because of that. And I think Cronenberg knocked this one out of the ballpark and how he created it. And I feel bad that this one isn't given as much uh, uh, fanfare as what it should have. I mean, yeah, it was well known at awards time, but yet, it, like you said, it wasn't really nominated for as many things as it should have been. And I feel bad for everybody all the way around. Do you think it's because it's an adaptation of graphic no- a graphic novel and that that wasn't necessarily as respected back then? I think that's that could be a fair criticism um, or a statement because, yeah, I I think you could have picked up any source book or any magazine article, whatever, and created this movie. I just think this was uh, probably one of those movies that they really couldn't market straight up how they were supposed to. It was probably looking like more of a Sunday night movie type thing. Um, I just don't think it was put out there in a marketing strategy the way it should have been. And I can't say it was going against the graphic novel because I don't think anybody back then would have really differentiated between a regular, you know, novel and a graphic novel. So I can't say that, but I just think that this one somehow missed the marketing and hitting the right audience and the word of mouth and all that good stuff. Because once it hit, video and after award season i remember this being something a lot of people watched and talked about it just wasn't something that was predominant during its uh run in the theaters no they were talking about the full frontal from maria bello that's what they were talking about but <laughs> is that what it was okay yeah, that's what it was uh you know i i, I think distinctly because it was uh, came from you know quote unquote comic book uh that some people kind of poo-pooed it. The same the, the hap, same thing kind of happened to Road to Perdition a few years before with Tom Hanks because that came from a graphic novel that mm-hmm. I, I think some people 
especially in the Hollywood community back then, kind of poo-pooed the idea. Now, you know, twenty, nearly twenty years later, it's a different circumstance. You know, a comic book is is the box office bonanza. Anything from a graphic novel or a comic book is that people are looking to adapt that and make that into a t- television show, streaming service. Uh, you know, or, you know, the, a big blockbuster film. And, and I will say, I do think that there was a, a, a somewhat poor marketing campaign. I, I remember the poster was a poster, I, I believe, of Vigo Mortensen and Maria Bella kind of looking kind of off to the right or off to the left of camera and a gun kind of blurred out, kind of obscuring them uh, partially. And I went, it's just like, wow, it's just like, looks like a poorly framed picture. And that was the theatrical poster. And I don't think that really covers what this film is about in any way, shape or form. Uh, And so that, you know, there may have been some mistakes in how they marketed this film back in uh, uh, 2005. And I often wonder if somebody like a Vigo or even Ed Harris or a couple more people, maybe the screenplay, I don't know if something, if there would have been more nominations out there during award season, would it have garnered more attention? I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking what could have made this one more appealing to the masses? I don't know. And once again, David Cronenberg is not you know box office draw it's not i mean he's he's very he's very niche and obscure i think he does very very good work but he's never had like the big uh, huge uh box office hit Mm -hmm. all right after it's all said and done uh, on a scale of one to five do you consider this a bad one or do you give this a high five uh i've telegraphed this one (laughs) this is a high five to me this is I know you guys talk about your top 100 movies all the time on Movie House Memories. This one's in the top 50 for me. I absolutely wow. adore this movie because this is the type of movie I love. I love a very, not only to say short, for 90 minutes, it's well done. It's well paced. It's great storytelling. It's well acted. And there's a good amount of psychology to it. I, it's something I don't want to watch a lot maybe every five to 10 years, something of that nature or a couple of years, maybe, but I just love it. I love the way they do it. I love the fact that I, you know, I'm from the Midwest. So I see a lot of what I see every day and how they put this film together. Even though they did this in Canada, they brought a lot of stuff uh, from the Midwest in terms of how they created the film in terms of road signs and how a diner in this neck of the way would look and all that. I really, really appreciate it. And then I love the mystery of bringing the mobsters to a small town from a big city. It's, it's got everything I really, really love. So yeah, this would be a top 50 film for me. And I recommend this to anybody who would want to take the time to appreciate good cinema. Wow, that is extremely high praise to put in your top 50. Now, I will say I I really like this film a lot. One of my favorite films of 2005. Uh, I won't go as high as a 5. I'll go with 4.5. Um, okay. But uh, once again, there was, I mean, I, I don't, William Hurt's performance wasn't 
you know, bad. It was, I, I don't see him as a big bad. He just is not a threatening presence for me. I don't know. I, maybe they should have reversed those roles and had uh, Ed Harris play the big bad, Richie at the end, although I think the age difference between the two of them wouldn't have been nearly as effective. But uh, I, you know, I, I, it would not be in my top 100, but as a film I really, really do like, probably very likely be in my top 200. Um, having watched it, this is the first time I've watched it in probably about 10 years. I really liked it much better than the last two times I've watched it. So this is one that is definitively grown on me. And now that I've read the graphic novel, I have a much deeper appreciation for it. So I may find myself revisiting this one on a more frequent basis. And who knows, maybe at some point in time, I'll pop in my top 100 after I've seen it a few times. Uh, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it as well. Great uh, psychological drama, uh, great drama as well. A little bit of mystery. Um, and a stellar cast from top to bottom uh, in pretty much every role. Um, although I keep qualifying William Hurt, just not as scary as Ed Harris is in the film. <laughs> I understand. All right. Well, that is it for this our review of A History of Violence. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comment section. And for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well if you've enjoyed today's review please don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel the mhn podcast network network where we have many many more film reviews from yesterday today and beyond until next time i'm patrick and i'm chad and this concession stand is now closed podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Rock On Brudda is brought to you by Marwan Nimra at natintine.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted. <laughs>